book. If you remember, one of the first messages I preached was Isaiah chapter 6. And in that, we saw, first of all, the vision of God. And then we saw the Lord high, holy, and lifted up. And because of our vision of God, we actually see a correct vision of ourselves. And from that, we get the correct vision of the work. And there is a work that God expects us to accomplish. That God has left us here to accomplish the Great Commission. And God has set this church here for being a part of accomplishing the Great Commission. The next couple of weeks, we're going to be hitting this idea of the vision of the work, explaining from the Bible, what is this work? What is God expecting us to do? How is He supposed to get us? How are we supposed to get it done? What tools? And various things along those um, lines to remind us there is a work for us to do. And God expects us to get it accomplished. Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in the, in the book of Acts in chapter number 14. The book of Acts chapter 14, and notice with me starting at verse number 1. Acts 14 in verse 1, we see this. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto His word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and the part helped with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lysonia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat certain men at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leapt and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of the Lysonia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Which, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran out among the people, crying out and said, Sirs, why do ye these things? We are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk on their own ways. Nevertheless, he he left them not he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness and with these uh, saying scarce restrain they the people that had not done sacrifice unto them and there were 
come thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas into Derby. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I'd like for you to mark a verse that we find in Acts 14. Acts 14 and verse 7, And there they preached the gospel. And there they preached the gospel. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach that exact message. There they preached the gospel. There they preached the gospel. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And Lord, thank you for the great morning that we had. And we could tell that your spirit was here. And I believe that you worked and moved and had people make decisions. Now, as we start this brand new series, I'm asking that you would do something special in the next couple of weeks. And that you would illuminate our eyes. That you would reveal, unveil us these scriptures. And that you would see the part that you expect us to play. And that each one of us individually would decide that we would be obedient, that we would decide to put our life in ministry in helping this local church accomplish the Great Commission, that you would help us and that you would encourage us and that we would see many wonderful things occur because of the preaching of the gospel. Lord, now give me your power. Show in a special way your word. Use me as your instrument. Fill me with your grace and just be God tonight. Just be God. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And there they preached the gospel. It's been my habit in all these years that whenever we come to a place, we need to, first of all, define our terms. So what do we mean by the gospel? You know, sometimes people can say, well, that's the gospel truth. Does that mean that it's the gospel? No. What, what is the gospel? We need to define what is the gospel. Is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we're teaching that in the children's Sunday school, is that the gospel? What is the gospel? Is talking about Paul, is that the gospel? That's a good question. What is the gospel? Well, the best bi- definitions are Bible definitions. So let's see what is the gospel according to the Bible. Turn with me to the book of First. Uh, Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to turn back to Acts 14 in just a second. I just wanted to take a quick detour and I wanted to define our terms. What is the gospel? What does it mean that there they preach the gospel? What did they preach? What did they explain? What is the gospel? Notice with me 1 Corinthians 15 and notice in verse number 1. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Hey, that's pretty clear, isn't it? He says, I'm going to declare to you the gospel. I'm going to tell you what the gospel is. Which I preach to you, which ye have also, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved. So we're saved by the gospel. If you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you that first of all, that which I have received, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So what is the gospel? It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's simple. That is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we explain the gospel, we explain 
the death, burial, and resurrection. First of all, the death. Why did Jesus die? That Jesus was God, why did He die? He died because of sin. He died because of your sin. He died because of my sin. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. I deserve to die because of my sin. But Jesus took my place. He died for me. He died as me. He died and was buried. That proved that He actually died. It wasn't just a fairy tale. It wasn't that He just suffered. He died. But the important part of the gospel, we've got to make sure we put in there, on the third day, He rose again forevermore. What a wonderful thing that Jesus arose! He arose! Do you know without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no salvation? We'll get into that a little bit later uh, in uh, Resurrection Sunday. We're going to be preaching the greatest if. And if you need help, it's in 1 Corinthians 15. The greatest if. You know, if Jesus be not risen, we are a people most miserable. Because Jesus rose again. When Jesus rose again, it proved two things. It proved that Jesus was indeed God and that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. What a wonderful thing. That is the gospel. So when they went and preached the gospel at Lystra and Derby, what did they preach? They preached the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we wanted to be very clear. What are they preaching? What are they explaining? Are they just giving a little happy message? Are they just kind of say, you know, cheer up, it's going to be all right? What are they preaching? They're preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn back with me, if you wouldn't mind, into the gospel rec- or to the book of Acts in chapter 14. There they preach the gospel. <clears throat> and in chapter 14, we get a little synopsis, a little picture of what happens when we preach the gospel. When we preach the gospel, there's always going to be a reaction and there's always going to be something that happens. So what happens when we preach the gospel? First of all, I'd like to show you the dividing of the gospel. The dividing of the gospel. Notice with me in Acts 14 in verse number 1, the dividing of the gospel. Verse number 1. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. Verse 1, that's a great verse. That many people are saved. Multitudes of Jewish people and Greeks, they're saved. Praise the Lord. When we preach the gospel, they're going to get saved. But notice something else, verse 2. But... The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. So what happened is that some Jewish people came in who was against Paul and against the gospel. They started getting to the rest of the Gentiles and say, hey, you know what they're preaching? They're preaching garbage. You know, and why are you letting them preach? It doesn't make sense. You need to get rid of them. And they stirred them up and they evilly affected their mind against Paul and against Barnabas. Verse 3. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly. So who's this they? That's Paul and Barnabas. Speaking boldly in the Lord, uh, uh, in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace. So they're preaching the Bible. Granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But, so notice this. It's almost like the good and the, the bad. The good people are getting saved. The bad people are stirring others up and saying, don't listen to them. Why are you listening to him? Why are you listening to them? And to the point where they say, I I don't want to listen to him. Why not? Well, I just heard bad things about him. So they're already poisoned. They're already 
against the gospel because their minds are poisoned. Then we go over to the good. But they spent a long time preaching and signs and wonders and miracles are happening. But, but, verse 4, but the multitude of the city was divided and part helped with the Jews and part with the apostles. So here's Paul. He's not trying to hurt anyone. He's just preaching the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But there's some people who are against him. And what has happened is that you've got an entire city that is taken aside. They're divided. The gospel, there's almost no innocent bystanders, uh, no spectators. You choose a side. Do I accept the gospel? Do I not accept the gospel? And what happens is it's divided. Do you know that a lot of people like this idea of Christianity of peace and love and all that other stuff. Most of the people who quote, quote the idea that God is love don't even know where it's at in the Bible. Do you know that Jesus said, I came to divide father and brother or father and child, uh, father and son, brother against brother? He sent to divide. Uh, I'm not going to turn there, but if you're curious, that's the gospel record of Luke chapter 12, verses 51 through 53. Luke 12, 51 through 53. Jesus came to divide. You say, well, that doesn't sound very Christ-like. You see, it's not that the gospel divides. It's people's reaction to the gospel that divides. There are some people who are going to accept the gospel. And there are some people who will not accept the gospel. And those that don't accept the gospel are going to be against those that do accept the gospel. You go to church... Don't you know that's just a crutch? Don't you know that's only for poor, ignorant people? Don't you know that they're just fooling you and it's just a brainwash? Go ahead and drink the Kool-Aid. Have you ever heard anything like that before? They say stuff like that. They're personally trying to poison people to the gospel. You don't have someone that says, "Ah, you know, I don't care whether you read the Bible or not. You got people that say, oh man, that's just man's book. A man wrote that. It's full of errors. You go to you very rarely find anybody who's on the fence. They're either for the Bible or they're against the Bible. Education. You read a history book. They're either for the Bible or they're against the Bible. You, anything you do, they're either for the Bible or against the Bible. The Bible or the gospel divides. You choose a side. Do I choose the gospel or am I against the gospel? That's sorry, that's the reaction. By the way, you become a soul winner, <laughs> you're going to have some people that are not going to like you. Oh, so you're the preacher. I don't care if they call me the preacher. I am the preacher, but, you know, you go to work. Oh, it, look, it's the preacher. Ooh, that's that Bible thumper. You know, we get so scared of people calling us names. Oh, no, 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 I'm not a Bible thumper. Yeah, I love the Bible. Praise the Lord. You should obey the Bible. You know what? If you're going to preach the gospel, people are going to be divided against you. You're going to have that but. But they're against them. But they stirred them up. You're going to have people who hate you. You're going to have people who are against you. That's the dividing of the gospel. You know, God is very honest. God, and he tells you up front what's going to happen. But you know what? You need to know... What's going to happen and choose anyways. You need to choose anyways for the Lord's sake. Hey, I'd rather see people get saved and have naysayers than do nothing at all and let people die and go to hell. 
You have to choose. And there's a dividing of the gospel. Notice as it goes on in verse number 5. And there there, there was an assault made. This assault is a physical assault. Both of the Gentiles and those of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. This has the idea they're preaching, they're minding their own business, they're telling people about the gospel, and people are so stirred up that they're literally trying to grab them to stone them. I'm pretty sure that you've probably had some people that are mad at you, but you've never had someone who's ready to kill you yet. Maybe you have. You know, it, it could happen. But here, they're so upset. They've taken a side. Have you ever met an atheist or someone? I mean, they're just, they hate. You just say Jesus, and they're ready to fight. They're ready to go. I mean, they've made a side. There are going to be people who are going to be against you. That's what happened to Paul. Notice as it goes on, verse 6, and they were aware of it. Hey, if I heard someone's going to stone me, and I'd probably try to duck and cover too. There's nothing wrong with being wise. You don't have to purposely stir. Some people are foolish about it. You know, you can be wise. Bless God, I'm going to preach whether, I'm going to preach whether they tell me or not, but I'm not going to go into the middle of the atheist convention, you know, and I'm probably not going to go to the nearest Catholic church and go say, the Pope is an antichrist. And, you know, there's some wisdom. I, I don't have to go do that. I, I cause enough trouble just preaching here. I don't have to go stir problems up everywhere else. There's some wisdom here. So when they heard that they were going to go kill him, hey, there's other cities. I don't have to go stay here. Notice as he goes on, and they were aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby. By the way, it's not going to help. He's going to get stoned anyways. But they were aware of it and they fled to Lystra and Derby and cities of Lysonia and about the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. So did they change the message? No, they went and did the same thing again. They stirred them up until people chose a side. And when everyone's pretty much chosen, all right, we'll go somewhere else and we'll go do it again. And there they preached the gospel. We first of all had the dividing of the gospel. But notice this. This is a snapshot. This is reality. This is what happened. But it also gives us a snapshot for us what happens when we go and preach the gospel. A second thing we see is the healing work of the gospel. The healing work of the gospel. Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 8. Verse number 8. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never walked. So Paul's preaching there in the city of Lystra. And in this city is a man who's been crippled. His leg, maybe it was withered, maybe it was twisted. We don't know. We just know it was crippled. And he had never walked. Never walked. He was born this way. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't an accident. He had never walked. And now we don't know how old he is. He's a man, but he's sitting there. Maybe he's begging. But he sees Paul in verse 9. And the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholded him. So Paul turned around and saw this guy. And he looks at him up and down. And perceiving that he had faith to be healed, he says, this guy's got something. This guy's looking. He's looking for truth. Verse 10, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he, that man who had never walked before, he leapt and walked. By the way, it takes a lot of leg power to leap. Sometimes you get older, some of you haven't leaped in a long time, right? I have a hard time leaping too. But this guy, he leapt. He jumped up and walked. And it's a miracle. This guy walked. You know, 
I believe that there's a God who never lost His power. The same God who spoke the world in existence is the same God we serve. The God of Elijah who rained down fire is still the same God that we serve. And He has never lost His power. We still have a miracle working power. Now, I'll preface that by also saying I reject the idea of some guy to slap another person on the forehead and all of a sudden he can walk. I reject that. Man has no power, but God does. And God can still work. God can heal cancer. Doesn't, he doesn't always do it, but He can. God can heal illness. He could, he could heal pain. He could give grace. He could do so much. We still have a miracle-working God. I still believe in a God who works miracles. I reject the idea of a man doing the miracles. I reject that. Benny Hinn, the, the great faith healer, he's had heart surgery. Why doesn't he go into the hospital and just go clear it out? I mean, why not? Instead of going paying to see him and whatnot. I, I'm against that. But I don't want to be so against it that I also reject a, a miracle-working God. That God is still able to do things. And when we preach the gospel, miracles will happen. You'll see marriages be put together. If you forgive a personal testimony, there, there was a family that uh, my wife and I ran into in Phoenix. Um, I was working as a, as a lab tech, as a phlebotomist in this case, and there's 250 different retirement homes in Phoenix, Arizona. That's a lot. And so what they would do is they had a whole bunch of us, and we would start at 2 o'clock in the morning, and we would work until 11 going to each one of these retirement homes and drawing blood from, so that way these residents didn't have to go get a van or get something and go to a hospital. We came to them. And so we would draw their blood. And there was an, a male nurse who worked at a couple retirement homes and he just kind of transferred to one-to-one uh, uh, on a little staffing pool. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, he would see me and every morning he saw me, he would say, how are you doing this morning? And my answer, if you haven't figured it out, is I'm blessed. And that kind of made him scratch his head. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Who in the world can be blessed and happy at 2 o'clock in the morning? I meant... But I, every time, I'm blessed, praise the Lord. And I go draw blood and go wake people up, and they're not blessed when I wake them up and say, I'm waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning to draw blood from you. But, you know, he would, um, he would watch. I invited him. In fact, uh, Brother Summerdorf, he was having a meeting, and uh, the, he's an evangelist we got coming next year. He was coming to the meeting, uh, having a meeting, and I said, hey, we're having a special meeting on the home and the family. We want you to come and, and be part of it. And... Um, he said, yeah, I might, I might. Well, he didn't show up, but he called me a little bit later. Uh, after a couple of weeks, we've been working on him. <laughs> Excuse me. And he, um, he said, I need help. My wife and I are having more problems than what we thought. And she's about ready to divorce me. I need help. Can you come and can you talk with me and my wife? And so we set an appointment. And uh, I immediately told my wife. And uh, we set an appointment that evening. Now, again, I've been up since 2 o'clock in the morning. I usually get off work, take a nap, and then go do ministry stuff afterwards. And so I get home about noon. And the guy calls and says, don't bother coming. My wife has already packed her bags. She's walking out the door now. Don't bother. It's already too late. And I said, it's not too late. Would you mind if I go ahead and keep that appointment and see if you could keep your wife there and I'd be glad to come and talk with both of you. 
And immediately my wife and I fell on our face and we prayed, said, God, you've got to do a miracle. You've got to do something. This, this marriage is about ready to blow up, please. And so it was a dark and stormy night in Phoenix, Arizona when I came over. And while we were there, she had locked herself out and, uh, in a room and wasn't coming out and they weren't speaking. And I began to talk with him and finally she got curious and she came out. And that dark and stormy night, I opened the Bible and both of them bowed their head and accepted Christ as their Savior. Now came the hard part. Not only was he a male nurse, but he was taking his patient's medication. So instead of giving them the medication, he'd take it himself. And so he was addicted to drugs. They, um, they were both um, fighting and arguing all the time. They had a time where she... There he's driving down the highway 50, 60 miles an hour. And she said, you know, got in a fight and said, let me out, let me out. Slow down, stop. And he goes, I'm not stopping. Well, I'm getting out anyways. He says, go ahead. And she did. And, you know, she rolled on the pavement. And so they call me up two o'clock in the morning. Pastor, preacher, we need help. We need help. I mean, she just rolled out of the car. We're fighting. We're going to break up. And we go over there and go help him. He ended up checking himself into a roll-off home, uh, like a men's home for drug-addicted And now he's a preacher, him and his wife, they travel around and they always start their testimony that it started with a guy at two o'clock in the morning that always said he was blessed. He was blessed. You know, that family is a miracle. God worked in that family. Here's a man who was addicted to drugs, whose marriage was broken. He was on the way to hell. And now he's serving God and traveling around preaching. The miracles can still happen. Don't tell me he wasn't healed. He was healed. I had a friend of mine. I worked in the military. And, um, and he, he was smart. He had a master's degree. He owned his own nightclubs. He was financially sound. He, he knew how to make money. He owned his own nightclubs. And year after year, I'd work with him and try to witness to him. Finally, he got saved. I cornered him and, and went in and we preached the gospel to him. And he finally bowed his head. Very smart guy. And uh, right after he got saved, he went to his nightclub and ordered his favorite drink. And he drank it. Well, you, this guy made it wrong. Give me another one. Well, fine, make this other drink for me. He went back and called me. He was so mad. What'd you do to me? I can't drink alcohol no more. It tastes so awful. No, that's the Holy Spirit inside of you. No good for a, for a nightclub owner who can't drink, right? I still keep in touch with him and his wife. God can work. God can work. He can change lives. He can deliver people from sin. He can do so much. When the gospel is preached, miracles will happen. We just got to preach the gospel. So when the gospel is preached, what happens? Well, we have the dividing of the gospel. There are going to be people that's going to be upset. There are going to be people that are not happy. What happens when we preach the gospel? Miracles will happen. Miracles will happen as we preach the gospel. What else? What happens when we preach the gospel? Notice this. There's a tendency to mix the gospel. There's a tendency to mix the gospel. Notice in verse 11. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices. And in the speech of the Lycedonia, the gods have come down in the likeness of men. 
And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. So now remember that there's a Greek influence all throughout the ancient world. And so they're calling Barnabas Zeus, who is the chief god of ancient Greece. And they called Paul Mercurius, who was Apollo, who was, uh, you might remember, he had the wings on his thing and he could fly all over. He was the messenger of the gods. So what they did is they saw this miracle, this guy who had a withered leg, who was crippled somehow, and he leapt up and walked. And the people said, look, the gods have come down and visited us. Oh, it's Zeus! It's Jupiter! Oh, look, it's Apollo! Oh, look! It's Mercury. Oh, and so what happened now, notice in verse number 13, then the priest of Jupiter, so the preacher who of Zeus, uh, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and would have sacrificed to the people. So the people are saying, look, Zeus has come down. So what happens? The preacher of the ch- uh, church of Zeus has a big meeting and he brings sacrifices he brings oxen and decorations and he brings it to the gate which is the marketplace of the town and he sits it there and they're getting ready to do sacrifices and praise and worship to zeus who is uh they're saying is barnabas so basically they're sacrificing to paul and barnabas and they're going to worship him as gods see what they're doing is they're taking the truth and they're trying to mix it with something else the world always does that The world always does that. You want to see me to change color in my face? You show me one of those stupid t-shirts that has like Reese's Pieces or something, you know, and hail to the king. Or or you hear something say, yo, me and JC, we're best buds. Jesus is not JC. We should not treat God so lowly. You know what they're doing is they're mixing the gospel. You know, that's what Christian rock and Christian rap does. They're taking the world and they're trying to stir it and mix it. You know, Christian rock is as ludicrous as Christian pornography. They do not mix together. They are against each other. The world is against God. But the people say, but we got to make the gospel more palatable. You can't make it more palatable. What is the gospel? It is the death, burial, and resurrection. You can't add to it. You can't take it away. You can't mix it with something else. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Leave it alone. But the world wants to mix it together. They want to change it. They want to make it more upbeat. They want to stop emphasizing hell. If a person doesn't believe they deserve to go to hell, they cannot be saved. There's nothing to save them from. But they want to mix it. They want to make it more positive. They want to do all kinds of things. They want to add this and add this. Jesus is not another God. He is the true and living God. And you cannot mix it. You cannot water it down. You can't do anything else with it and it still be the same. Things that are different are not the same. You can't change it and it still be the same. But the world, that's what they constantly do. They'll take their Christian videos, their Christian whatever else. They know, Hollywood knows that people are curious. That's why they come up with stupid movies like Noah. Uh, You know, that was a garbage movie. I hope none of you have ever seen that because it's a waste of time. 
It's not biblically correct. It's garbage. It's whatever else. I meant even the famous Ten Commandments movie of like with Charleston Heston. Moses, Moses. That was full of errors. That was, you know, but people judge. Uh, the They learn their Bible stuff from Hollywood. And no wonder they're messed up and stuff. Jesus Christ, superstar, and any other. That is, gar- Hollywood has no idea. People say, but what about the Passion of Christ? Yeah, that's a highly Catholic movie. I want to be careful now, you know. That's garbage. They will mix stuff with it. And they're trying to water and change the gospel. And you cannot do it. Cannot do it. And you have to be careful. But that's what the world does. So let's see what happens here. So you got the priest of Jupiter and the people are saying, Look at Zeus! It's Apollo! It's Jupiter and Mercury! The gods have come down. Oh, you want to go touch a god? Look, go touch him. Ha <laughs> ha! Look, I touched God, you know. Uh, notice what happens. Paul, Paul and Barnabas are just so shocked. Verse number 14. And when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they rent their clothes. That word rent means they ripped it open. In the ancient world, you would rip your clothes as a sign of public shame, of public horror. I mean, we don't do that today because we're too sophisticated and we can't afford buying clothes that often, I guess. But they would rip it open and say, no, this is wrong. They went on and rent their clothes and ran out of the people crying out and said, Sirs, notice they're respectful. Sirs, why do you these things? We are men of like passions like you. Hey, we're just as human as you are. We're just people. We're just men. And we preach to you that you should turn from these vanities. That word vanity means empty. He says, this is emptiness. We preached for you to get rid of Zeus. Zeus isn't real. Apollo's not real. Get rid of them. We were preaching the gospel to get rid of this garbage. Not to add to it. To get rid of it. To replace it. Now notice this. Unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that are in there. Notice they went straight to creation. What God do you serve? A lot of people say, well, all the gods are the same. No, they're not. My God's the God who created the world. Have ever told you guys where, where um, uh, Muhammad's God comes from? What's his name? Oh, come on, Muslim God, Allah. Allah. Do you know that Allah is original name is Sin? He's the moon god of uh, Abraham's father Terah. Actually worshipped him. He's been around a long time, just at a different name. That's not the same God. You know, God told Abraham in Genesis 20 to get out from among them and away from the gods that your fathers served. Who did his fathers serve? He served sin, who is now known as Allah. God said, Abraham, get away from Allah. He's bad. He's not, he's not the same God. Buddha is not the same God. Harry Krishna is not the same God. Joseph Smith's not the same God. The Mormons don't serve our God. It is a different God. And so they said, who is the God we serve? He's the God who made heaven and earth. He is the creator God. They went back to creation and said, the guy who made all this, that is God. Do you know that even in uh, the uh, Greek mythologies that Zeus didn't make everything? He's like a third generation God. His generation killed the creator gods. Uh, You know, go look at it. It's all messed up. 
Our God made everything. And he was smart enough to make it right the first time. And they're saying, we want you to turn away from this to the true and living God, the God who made all of this in the first place. He made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that's in it. Notice as he goes on, verse number 16, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. What this means is that, hey, for a long time, God lets you do whatever you want. Now, it didn't mean that because they're ignorant, they're going to heaven. He just said, hey, you guys don't want to believe in God? That's fine. But now, he's trying to let you know there's a living God. He says, but even though God had left you alone and let you do whatever you want, he always left a witness. Notice this witness here in verse 17. Nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness, and that he did good, and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. What is this witness? It's the witness of creation. Do you know that everyone is guilty by knowing there is a God that even the creation proclaims his name? You look at a sunset or a sunrise and you've got to go, wow, there's got to be God. There's got to be something out there. You look at a brand new baby and just think that it started from one cell, two half cells coming together. That one cell turns into 50 trillion cells from that one cell it turns into bones and sinew and and turns into blood vessels and turns into a heart just from one cell wow what a god you look at a brand new baby and go wow look at that only god i mean wow there's got to be something out there so creation proclaims that there is a god now god says hey I'd let you, relations walk however they want it for a while. I left you a witness that there is a God, but I let you do whatever you want. Now I'm giving you the gospel and trying to tell you who the true and living God is. God is trying to tell everyone how they can get, come to know God and get saved. Notice in verse 18, And with these sayings, this, they scarce restrained they the people that they done, uh, had not done sacrifice to them. So here's the scene. Paul tells someone, rise up and walk. And the guy leaps up and he walks. And the whole place is going, wow, Zeus is here. Yay, gods are here. And so the priest of Jupiter comes and sets up a big party. They're going to put sacrifices. And Paul and Barnabas come say, no, this is wicked. This is evil. We try to get you away from this. This isn't the true and living God. I'm just a man. So the people didn't put that on their stuff and says, oh, you're right. They're mad because they didn't get sacrifices. A couple minutes ago, they're saying, you're gods. Now they're going to go kill them. Well, I guess they didn't really think they were gods after all, right? Well, fine. If you're not our gods, we're going to kill you. So much for preaching the gospel. So what happens now? So we see, first of all, that there's a dividing of the gospel. When we preach the gospel, there's going to be division. There's going to be people who's not going to like it. When we preach the gospel, miracles are going to happen. They're healing work of the gospel. Then we see the tendency to mix the gospel. The world is always trying to take what is good and corrupt it and mix it and change it to something that it's not. Now I want to show you this last thing, the suffering for the gospel. The suffering for the gospel. Notice verse 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. All right, so the people are stirred up. Fine, if you're not going to let us worship our gods, we'll kill you. Even though a couple minutes ago we thought you was a god. So what they did is they took him outside of the city and outside of the cities they would have a little 
a pit. And they threw Paul in the middle of the pit. Barnabas must have got away. But they caught Paul. And what they did is they surrounded this pit and they took stones and they threw it at Paul. The Bible kind of goes quickly under this, but this was an ordeal. This was a suffering. That rock would hit his leg. He could feel his leg break. Maybe a, one hit his rib and he could feel a rib crack and he's having trouble breathing. Another rock hit him in the side of the head and he could feel that blood begin to trickle down. He felt the pain. They threw rocks. I mean, that's a brutal way to die. They are plunging him and they're doing it as a mob mentality. This guy who we thought was a god a couple minutes ago, we're killing him because he said we can't worship our gods. And they're all stirred up. And they kill him. Notice this word in verse 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city. Notice that word, supposing that he had been dead. That word supposing always means to conclude, to make a conclusion from custom, law, or evidence. They didn't just say, well, I think he's dead. They had evidence that he was dead. Paul died. They killed him. Think about it. How well would you survive if a hundred people gathered around you and threw rocks down at a pit until you're bleeding and mangled? You're hurting really badly. You're dead. They killed him. They supposed that he'd been dead. Why did they suppose they had evidence? I meant You could tell when something is dead, especially a man you just killed. He's dead. You beat him to death with rocks. They stoned him. Notice verse 20, though. How be it, as the disciples stood about him, probably as the crowd cleared, the disciples came back and checked on Paul. He arose up. Now, wouldn't that just scare you to death? (laughs) This guy is bleeding. Now, notice this. He rose up. I mean, just a second ago. He had rocks that broke his legs. Rocks that broke his ribs, probably pierced his lungs. He rose up and he walked back into the city. Now, let's think about it. If you just got killed or near death, would you go back in the same city that just killed you? Probably try to go find the next town. He walked back into town. Imagine those guys seeing him. Didn't we just... Kill this guy? He's walking back and saying, hey, what's up? Here's a gospel track. Let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> Stunned. I mean, wow. You know, we can expect suffering because of the gospel. But one thing I want to encourage you, even though we may suffer, why didn't Paul die? Because God wasn't finished with him. As long as God is not finished with you, he's going to use you. He's going to let you live. After this, can you imagine how bold Paul could have been? I meant, there goes that fear of death. I meant, hey, I've already died once. God's not going to let me die until I'm done. So you do whatever you want. God's still going to use me as long as he wants me here. I'm going to preach the gospel anyways. I mean, what can be done after that? You know, that's an amazing thing. Do you know, that should be an encouragement to you. I mean, we fear, some, you know, sometimes we just fear just knocking on the door because it's the unknown. What are they going to do? What if they say no? What if they yell at me? What are we? God's going to protect you. Doesn't mean you're not going to suffer, but God's going to protect you until he's done with you. 
as long as you are useful to God, He's going to keep you going. He's going to protect you. What a wonderful thing. What a confidence that should give us as Christians to continue to preach the gospel. That we may suffer. I'm not saying it may not hurt. But God has a plan for us. And we need to make a decision for ourselves that we're going to preach the gospel. Again, God is a very gracious God who's very honest. He didn't say it's a bed of roses. You cannot read this passage and say Christianity and following after the Lord is just walking on sunshine and walking with the clouds. But God is a great God and we're going to see lives be changed. We're going to see miracles happen. We're going to have some opposition, but at the same time, we've got a great God who is powerful and he can protect us and he can do all kinds of things if we just choose to follow after him. And that's where we, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the vision of the work. And we wanted to start right at the beginning. There they preach the gospel. And just encouraging that you, to make a decision to go tell people about the Lord. Every single one of us need to be carrying gospel tracts. Every single one of us need to be prepared to tell someone about the Lord, to give a track out. When's the last time you gave your mailman a track? I know a friend of mine, every time he sends out a package, he writes the gospel and says, Dear Mr. Postman, I want to let you know, first of all, that you're a sinner. And because he writes it out, you know, you could write on letters. It's legal. You could write on it. You could write whatever you want. As long as you don't cover up where the address is and the return address. Right on the back of it. I want to get envelopes that say Riverview Baptist Church. And then on the back of it has the gospel. Why not? I, when I mail packages, a build package on, I'll put the gospel, put one side on it and then put another gospel there and tape it to it. Why not? You know, send it to your bill collectors. Be ready to pass out tracts. Just get in the habit of passing out tracts. I mean, hey, if you're in a doctor's office and you've got to wait for 5, 10, 30 minutes, 2 hours, whatever it is, you know what? God has left you with all those people to pass out tracts to. They're all in there. Pass them out. Man, you know what you wait for? God puts you there to go pass out tracts to everyone. Unless you're in jail waiting for a jail sentence. I, you know, use discernment. Pass out tracts. Be prepared to tell everyone about the Lord. I meant the worst they could do to you is kill you and then you go to heaven. I meant, you know, wow. I meant... I'm not trying to be a little dying or the scare, but really, what can they do to you? Tell people about the Lord. Encourage them. Just be aggressive about it. You say, well, I don't want to speak. Well, you don't have to say anything to give a track out. Take this. Take this. You know, pass out tracks. Get in the habit. Start, if nothing else, start there. Just get in the habit of passing out tracks. Do everything you can. Uh, you know, go to Walmart and put tracks on people's vehicles. Now, don't put them on the um, windshield wiper. No one sees that until they're in there. You put it on the window when they, right before they see it. I know a friend of mine that when he goes to a gas station, he rolls up a track and puts it in the little handle thing. Hey, they've got to pull it out. Just, you know, put tracks everywhere. Litter the whole Green Bay with tracks. Make people sick of tracks. That's a good thing. Pass them out everywhere. Get, they should recognize it and say, oh, I know who that church is. 
just by looking at the track. Oh, yeah, I've gotten three or four of those. (laughs) Praise the Lord! Pass them out! If nothing else, start there. And then get the boldness to start telling others a little bit more verbally. Get in conversations. But we have to start somewhere. And we have to agree together that we're going to go and pass out tracks. But I'm not going to win a popularity contest. Sorry. But who are you trying to please? Him or them? There they preached the gospel. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being